Tom. Hello. Do you know what time it is? 21.51 and 12 seconds. Exactly. Yes, we've, we've forgotten how to tell the time <laughs> these days, you know. <laughs> this is Richard Wilson speaking. Thank you for downloading One Foot in the Podcast. So I'm a wrinkly, crinkly, but don't shed a tear. Hello and welcome back to part two of the Christmassy review of Who's Listening with guest Ant and as ever me. We pick up where we left off where after Victor's learned that he hasn't at all made Mrs Burridge's life any easier, is beginning his atonement, shall we say, in the second half of the podcast review. As ever, we hope you have fun listening to this geekery and please get in touch to give us your thoughts on this Christmas special. Merry Christmas, or if it's anywhere between January and November when you listen to this, just have a great day. Thanks all. Evening time. They've just come back back from uh, Victor, who turns out he's he's been in the nativity. But, um, he was asked to be in by Jean. And yes, first, I think yeah. the first part of his of his redemption was to be nice to Mrs. Warboys, perhaps, and yeah. play the back part of a cow. But he's somewhat livid as the front part went missing, leaving mm. Mr. Proust, I think, to replace it with a giant rabbit. Um, left over from Easter. Mm. A couple of Easter references in this, given how far in advance these celebrations do begin. And mm. uh, I think at that point, the Meldridge just tear into that bottle of wine that was left on the doorstep by who they presumed to be from Great Aunt Joyce. Well, this, this, <laughs> I, apparently. <laughs> well, I, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I, I would imagine, you know, this is, this is, this is good. Um, well, very irony, um, sort of on David Remick's part. And it's because it's not just, that they happen to drink. Well, we'll find out who the wine's really for, yeah. but it's not just that they drink it, it's that they only just drink it. Like if Patrick and Pippa had turned up just a few <laughs> minutes earlier. Yeah. You know, how, that... how about how about if Patrick and Pippa got it delivered to their house with permission? Then there wouldn't be in this mm. sticky situation. But, but yeah, I mean Victor, Victor, this this is the thing as well, because poor Victor, like he tries to do something good and it all goes wrong like he 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 says to mrs warboys presumably yes i'll do the nativity and it goes wrong (laughs) and and as we'll see later he he agrees to do a nice thing and help feed the homeless and then ends up being held hostage like the number of times he tries to do something good Mm. and and, and yeah it's 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 why we're on his side we just we just wanted to work out well for him yeah. With with the, with the reference of great aunt Joyce, I just want to say jo- Joyce was my late grand's name, so and yeah. my daughter's middle name. Shout out to those two. But it's, it sounds like the production was on a bit of a tight budget, which annoyed Victor. Margaret snaps at Victor for going on about it. Oh, for goodness' sake! Shut up, going on and on about the bloody thing. Bit a bit peckish, bit of bubble and squeak. I I can't Ooh. think of a a, a scene. Oh well, so I can't think of a moment where I'm in my kitchen reheating bubble and squeak and pouring wine into it. But that could be a delicacy. I don't know. Mm. <laughs> the doorbell goes though, much to uh, Margaret's curiosity, and it's Patrick and Pippa. It is. Um, by now, the the Meldrews um, must think they're they're quite the sociable pairing, given what happened in Who Will Buy. They're just turning up all the time, and uh, yeah. Margaret pours them a, a Christmas sherry. They're not here for a social outing, though, are they? They're, they are, in fact, here to collect something else delivered to their house. That's what we came round for, actually. Not being irrelevant. What's that? My father's Christmas present. Sorry? The bottle of wine. Uh, Fort Lumber Mason delivered it yesterday morning. I hope you don't mind us asking him to deliver it to you, but uh, we're not exactly sure when it would arrive and didn't want to risk him spotting it. <laughs> Could have tumbled it straight away. <laughs> bottle of wine. Being a collector, well, fanatic, really, when it comes to his wine. Oh, he's been after this particular one for God knows how long. Yeah, real stroke of luck that we found it, really. It's a Chateau Chevigny Merceau, 1924. Incredibly rare. He's got his 60th birthday coming up on the 28th, so it's sort of big combined present for the two. Oh, it's amazing, really, isn't it? Think of a bottle of wine that's ten years older than your father. It's amazing to think of a bottle of wine that cost you eight hundred and fifty quid. <laughs> oh, sh- 
shouting about the prize. <laughs> the sudden realization dawns on Margaret at this bottle of plong. It says this the Chateau Chauvenet Merceau. 1924. It's for Pippa's father's birthday. It's a no, very, it's, it's, it is for his 60th, by the way. It's, uh, it's on the 28th yeah. of the month. Kersky said, before we talk about the wine, Kersky said about when they first arrived. So, of course. So Margaret opens the door. And she says, um, oh, hello, love. And so makes it now. Uh, and Patrick quite cheerfully says, we um, we heard you come in. So we thought we'd try and catch you. Now, this episode um, is essentially, I mean, I know we had a couple of episodes in between, but this episode yeah. is, is essentially the sequel to Who Will Buy. And it's quite interesting in that it calls back to that a lot. You've got Victor agreeing to do something reluctantly, but for good intentions, like he did the charity event in Who Will Buy. He did the nativity in this. And yeah. you, and here we have Patrick and Pippa. This is presumably the, as far as we, the audience, are concerned, this is the first time we've seen them since Victor tried to get them to stay the night. When they yeah. arrive, I think what's interesting though to me is that the, from what, at least from the way Angus Deaton plays it, I don't think Patrick has a problem with Victor yet. I think he probably thinks it was a little bit odd what happened last time, but I think he's prepared to move on and. I honestly feel the way it's presented to us here that if this if this incident with the wine hadn't happened, he probably would have been okay with Victor. Like throughout this scene, Victor's in the kitchen. But if Victor had actually come out, I think Patrick would probably have been okay with him. Like when, probably, when yeah. Patrick, yeah, when Patrick walks in, he actually looks around in a kind of where's Victor kind of way. But what's interesting is it's not a is that weird man here? It's oh, where's Victor? I was hoping to say hello. I, I took that as what are all these garden names doing it? Well, yeah, like, it, yeah. His look, his look on his face did make me laugh. Thinking, yeah, the there, bloody yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there, there is that, but, but like, at, at least at this point, it seems like what happened in Who Will Buy didn't do too much damage. Like, it, it's not Patrick's not. Oh, it's, to, it's, it's, yeah. it, it's exacerbated so much at the end. We, we're going to get to that, but yeah, the, we'll talk yeah. about Patrick's response to it, but. Yeah, yeah. It, it's the, the bottle of wine is for Tom Croker's sixtieth, uh, and it's it's yeah. a seventy-year-old bottle costing eight hundred fifty quid. Which, by the way, in today's money, quick inflation calculation is uh, over eighteen hundred quid. So yeah, it's oh. no one will ever be able to convince me that alcohol can be worth more than twenty quid, and that <laughs> the same goes for paint. That's just me, complete. Uh, and you know, time of that kind of thing. Well, do you know, it's funny because even though Patrick obviously has a great deal of respect and, well, I suppose, you know, love for his father-in-law, you can tell that a part of him resented spending all that. And that's a yeah, big... Yeah, he, act- he, won't, he won't go on about it. <laughs> Stop and going a, on about it, sorry. And that's a big part of why, you know, obviously he blames Victor so much, you know, later Probably, on. Yeah. All it would have taken was for the male Jews to written a cheque and contributed towards replacing it it's not their fault but again we can cover that shortly later but yeah i did like the pair the pair of them patrick and pippa is looking around the house just when they're confronted with all the garden names that's like concern look first of many going forward when they enter the meldry's house and something weird's going on yeah. margaret uh, exits to find victor comically pouring the, the remaining drops of the of the wine in the bubbling squeak and oh, um, yeah, yeah. it's it Chucking the bottle in the in the trash as well. Margaret breaks down the situation. Victor, that very expensive bottle of wine that was sent to us by Great Aunt Joyce yesterday, it wasn't from Great Aunt Joyce and it wasn't for us. Not from Great Aunt Joyce, but sit on the card. Yes, lots of the other... card was from her. The wine was from a very expensive place in London. It belongs to Patrick and Pippa, and the couriers left it in our house for safe Keeping. <laughs> it cost eight hundred and fifty pounds. It's been perfectly preserved for over sixty years. And you've just poured the last drops in the bubble and squeak. She says perfectly preserved for over sixty years. It's actually seventy years old. That bottle. I thought, unless I mis- misunderstood or misheard. But much like Kylie the tortoise incident, Margaret does actually want to cover up their their mistake, and she and in this yes. case, hand back a perceived unopened bottle of wine, um, and to- topping up with some some water. But obviously, the pressure in the taps not working, which is a payoff to the original in that earlier scene where Victor can can get anything out of the tap 
when he yeah. when he did the one liner about the geriatric bladder. Patrick will soon describe it. Whatever Margaret pours in as cat, carbonated cat's urine, and her theory is nobody will drink it, which is somewhat true. I think collect- collectibles aren't used. If you buy a, a box or something with an old toy in it, you won't open it. Well, you shouldn't open it, apparently. But yeah, the um, yeah. she just fills up with uh, some kind of cheap lager or lemonade or, or whatever, and and returns the bottle in the pack. They're lucky that they didn't chuck away that some um, bottle, like the the, the pack, sorry, because at least they had something to go by in the interim. What I would like to know is when Margaret walks in and picks up the the, the you know the wrap it came in. She yeah. look she looks at something on it, and you can see on her face there's that realization. Now. What did that say? Did that did that did that clearly say this isn't for you? Like this is for next door? Because was it, was it like, what on the label? Yeah, you know, like on the label when she she reads it and um, and you can tell that she's sort of going, oh crikey, we should have read this before. And you think, well, what did it say? Did it say that it's for Mister and Missus Trench? Did it? You know what I mean? Like um, I because, don't know actually. It, yeah, it, it, it's very Victor to to not have come across that label. But the, the, the problem is, the, the, what we should mention is, Grant Art and Joyce, this Christmas card envelope that was sent to the Maldives was sort of placed under the, the bottle. So naturally you go, oh, that's that's the Christmas present she, she sent all along. This is not the Maldives' fault. I think it's not. I would say that most of us were in agreement. Not their fault. It's an accident. If, if I'm going to get something delivered to someone else's house, even if it's a neighbour, I'm giving you a heads up. Oh, by the way... Um, is it okay if we get something delivered to your house? I know it can accidentally happen if you order something from Amazon and you're not in. I know these days you just plonk it by your doorstep for everyone to nick now, but before 2020, if you weren't in, they might go to a neighbour and you, you weren't aware of that they'd gone to the neighbour until they left the card. But yeah, basically, it's an accident and it's very frustrating. And Well, it's it's ridiculous <sighs> because because Patrick makes a big thing even as we'll see at the end of the episode he says like it cost 850,000 I'm thinking then why did you have it sent to your neighbors who you still don't know very well at this point as far as we're concerned because we've only seen you once before and who will buy you yeah. don't know you know you had it sent to their house and you didn't even tell yeah. them that's yeah. that's 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 insane I mean if you've spent any, and Pat, we know Patrick was not happy at spending all that. So the first thing he would do is get in touch with the Mildred and say, we're sending a bottle of wine to your house. For goodness sake, keep it safe. And <laughs> don't drink it. Fault. This is why it's their fault. It, yeah. It's the catalyst for future fallouts between Victor and Patrick. Anyway, yeah. it, it's the scene's ended. They hand the apparent unopened bottle of wine back and we're brought outside the church and, and on Victor's journey to redemption he locates the the actual church Croker works at which for some reason there's some evil like baddie music playing in there and there's it's, much to um, read into that but. it's uh, in in Dutch you below but it's kind of a sinister sort of take on it and Victor is standing there looking ashamed and like he, he dare not enter I suppose, yeah, fair enough. He feels bad about his behaviour towards Mrs. Burridge. He feels bad about the bottle of wine. But as far as the bottle of wine is concerned, I say, hey, Vic, not your fault, mate. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, with, with Mrs. Burridge, okay, you were a bit, you know, a bit of a jerk. Yeah. But, hey, you don't, you know, you can apologise to her. It's not a problem. But but this is something that, going forward, I will say, I do feel as if the episode at least this scene, proceeds as if Victor's crime was far greater than it actually was. Because if you put this episode on at this point and you saw how ashamed he is and how Mrs. Burridge mm. be- behaves towards him, you would be thinking, good grief, what did Victor do or say to this poor woman? But actually, he was just a bit of a nuisance. And he just, and he, mm. don't, get me wrong, don't get me wrong, he, 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 he should apologise. I mean, he was out of order, but at the same time, mm. The fact that she doesn't forgive him and doesn't even let him finish his apology is just a bit, I don't know, I I, I don't like it myself. Yeah, I I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying, but state of mind she'll be in at that point. She just hasn't got time for for anything at the moment. I I, Um, I suppose, yeah. I I, I, I don't mean to be harsh towards her, but yeah. She she might just think, I could forgive him, but I have no energy to speak to that man right now. Mm. And her, her little boy, Adam... You know, approaching Victor, she probably thought, "I don't want you anywhere near my son. You're going to be me." I actually think for Tom Croker, I had to say, gives an exceptional sermon and his exit speech. I go to church if these kinds of mesmerising and compassionate speeches were were delivered. Maybe they are, but 
unfortunately, unfortunately, the mood doesn't last long when his mobile goes off. <laughs> Highly inappropriate, but such a funny out of the nowhere turn. Sounds like he's already started the job. Today is the last Sunday that I shall stand before you as the incumbent priest in the parish of St. Luke's. No exaggeration to say that this is one of the saddest days of my life. And yet, as I look around the faces of you here before me, I'm only too well aware that there are those amongst you whose burden of grief is far, far greater than mine. To all of you, I send my fondest thanks for my sincere assurances that as I make my way to pastures new, from the world of holy orders to the world of multinational, industrial, plastics, conglomerates, I shall continue to hold dear all those timeless virtues of benevolence, compassion, sensitivity, and all the... <laughs> Duncan, how are you? I'm in the middle of a sermon at the moment. Are you at the office? Yes, I, I will, as soon as I'm through. And it's a short scene. As the congregants leave the church, we see Croker Comfort, uh, Mrs Burridge, and little Adam, this is when he runs up to Victor, who's, who's stood by the post um, by the post box and he gives uh, he asks if Victor's the postman hands him the letter Victor doesn't seem that approachable when he takes a few moments to tune in to what's being asked of him Are you the postman? Sorry? Oh, thank you Adam Ah uh. Mrs. Burridge, I just wanted to, uh, the other day, I just wanted to say that uh, the things that I said at the time, I was just, uh... Mrs. Burridge spots Adam near. Victor calls him over. I don't know if Mrs. Burridge would have spoke to her son about the video shop incident, because that's just a... There's probably not I mean, really I, a need to tell a young boy about that, but she's just like, yeah. just stay away from him. And for, for, yeah. what it's, for what it's worth, I mean, I, I do think one of what one of Victor's mistakes right off the bat was that he he should obviously it's a comedy, so you know, fair enough. I, <laughs> I, I, I I'm reading into it like it's a drama, but the thing is, like, he if he'd started with the words "I'm sorry," because he kind of walks over and he's sort of like, ah, oh, um, yes, well, um, the things I said at the time, and he's sort of like, well. Look, I mean, I think it's pretty apparent that he's trying to make amends, but at the same time, she's obviously yeah. she gives him quite a scathing look and 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 walks away. And I mean, the, the reason it surprised me was because when you look back at how she was in the video shot, if she'd been truly upset and if he if he'd really yeah. if he'd if he'd really upset her in the shop, then you could, but the fact that in the shop she she was kind of like whatever just makes me think that when he comes up later and is trying to make amends that she'd be a bit more receptive to that but maybe I don't yeah know. i, I yeah. don't know but oh, he tried to apologize that basically you know. um, it's a shame it, shame she doesn't she's not open to it. but yeah you can you can understand what's what what uh given what she's going through but victor rather nosily opens up the letter that little adam's written yeah which yeah. which uh which i will read out uh, dear Father Christmas, please, I want my dad to come home for Christmas. Mum says he isn't, so I'm writing to you. Yours truly, Adam Burridge. Very, mm. very sad. I wonder. Mm. I hope Victor posted that, by the way. I don't know if he... I'm not, just a, just a, in the spirit of uh, Christmas, mm. I hope he did post it. But uh, yeah, that's that's a, the scene's ended. Where yeah. we're, we're brought into the, 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 the bedroom of the Meldrews. And this is the first... Or the second time the the tree, uh, uh, Mr. Mrs. Ellsbury's tree, um, almost fa- falling over, is referenced. Ah, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Especially due to the bad weather, the phone lines are still um, off. Victor's trying to be philosophical about being grateful. Yes, it hasn't been the happiest on record for anyone. I suppose if it teaches us something. It teaches us to be thankful and not to go about... What am I doing with this? <laughs> I went downstairs for a book. 
I've just about had enough of you, matey. I have straight. <laughs> he realises he's carried a he's carried a, a gnome up to bed with him. He's, mm. I think he's supposed to um, was he supposed to bring up something else? I can't remember now. Mm. One could read into Victor subconsciously feeling guilty about recent events and his body language in such a way that I think he felt obliged to carry that gnome under his arm in a caring way. But yeah, he snapped out of it, didn't he, when he realises. Uh, well, he wanted to flush it down the toilet, which he goes ahead and, and does. Probably not for the first time. Yeah. More more eventual redemption a few times. But, yeah, he's heard about Christmas Day lunch for the homeless at the community hall. Mm. And he's offered up his services, much to Margaret's disapproval. More from, I think from a selfish point of view, I can see her point. As she hadn't had time to really register his goodwill, did she? But actually, we'll, we'll learn she doesn't really register it properly at all, I don't, I don't think. I mean, it sort of it's, does. I think Mrs. Yeah. Mrs. Warboys puts her straight, doesn't she? But in well, it's, inter- it's, it's interesting because, like, he says um, he met Reverend Croker again and found out about it. So presumably, after reading the the card that Adam Burridge wrote, he would have gone and spoken to the Reverend. One one thing I, I often wonder with this is: is he has he chosen to do this? Out of a feeling that he has to atone for his mistakes, or or does he just want to do it out of the goodness of his heart, or is it both? I think it's well, both. It's definitely, it's definitely both. He, he's probably spoken to Tom Croker just shortly after Mrs. Burridge leaves the, the, the churchyard. He's, and he's probably saying, what can I do? I just feel awful about what this story you mentioned the other day, uh, Mr. Croker. And he said, look, how about you help me, amongst other things, he would have told Victor or, or, or given... And words of wisdom aside, he would have said, "How about you help me down at the community hall?" Yeah, uh, um, yeah, it bring, it, it's it's um it's quite a big thing to do, I think, for anyone to, to to give up Christmas Day. I think that's I applaud you if you if you if you're a listener and you've done that before or in and around Christmas, you give up your you know what, though, time to help out those in need. That I applaud you. The thing is, like on the one hand yeah he's kind of springing this on margaret very casually and i can see that um however it's pretty clear that their only plans were basically to just the two of them be together and have dinner so he i mean he says like well we'll have it at tea time um yeah. and and she's like oh does oh so that means i have to be on my own well i would think i mean even mrs mrs warboy says well that gives you a lot of time to prepare then but but, but like I can see why initially it's a bit of a shock, but then at the same time, for her to still be angry with him the next morning until Mrs. Warboys says something. I mean, I'm sorry, but what he's doing is a very, very good thing. I mean, that's that's an understatement. And for her to need Mrs. Warboys to clarify for her that what her husband is doing is a good thing. It just really has me rolling my eyes, quite honestly. Um, I, I, don't yeah, mean, yeah. I don't mean to be horrible towards Margaret. I, I, you know, she has lots of wonderful moments, like in Who Will Buy, where, you know, with the elderly gentleman, and I understand. I, I just thought, and this is where I, you know what I said about, I think Mrs. Warboys is a bit more cunning than she lets on. I think she can see that Margaret is un- unfairly angry with Victor. And rather than say to her, hey, you're being unfair, she innocently says, I must say I thought that was a very generous gesture. Not like Victor at all. Well, not like any husband, really. Giving up his Christmas day to go down that drafty old community centre. <laughs> Pity a few more can't be bothered. And she's making Margaret see that you you know you've got he's a good man he, this this is a really good thing he's doing you shouldn't be angry with him for this but she's doing it in that innocent sort of you know like she's not even aware that margaret's angry um, yeah yeah well that, that brings us to that brings us to christmas day morning like you yeah. saying you know mm. it's um here the classic christmas carols sang by a choir glory to the newborn king in the background no sign of victor he's obviously doing his good deed for the year down at the community hall like I said, a sour-faced Margaret uh, has Mrs. Warboys over at the very least. The ever-loyal Mrs. Warboys is there to Ooh. pass on a rather large gift on behalf of Mr. and Mrs. Burkitt, last seen in the Valley of Fear, I think, uh, locked in the attic at Wingate. And, oh, yeah, gosh, Mrs. yeah. Warboys, Mrs. Warboys is still gutted Victor didn't opt for a tree. It's, just, it's disappointing. I wonder if 
I wonder if David Remick's ever opted out putting a trip in his house at Christmas. I don't know. The, okay. the timing of, of, of Margaret somewhat sighing out of it, <laughs> out in agreeance, that is a shame. Victor didn't want a Christmas tree, just as she reveals the very much unwanted Christmas gift is some very subtle comic timing that can't go unappreciated. It's another bloody garden gnome. You know, she goes, yes, and she brings, she lifts out the gnome. And uh, yeah, I guess the order couldn't be cancelled in time. Yeah, much to Margaret's dismay. Yeah, she and Victor won't be having their Christmas lunch now to the evening. I know 3pm is traditional sort of time or just after the Queen's speech or the King's speech now. Um, mm. But I didn't know. We used to have it at lunchtime. Then for many mm. years, we'd have it in the early evening. But, yeah, and but I didn't I didn't like that personally. I like Christmas lunch to be at lunch. I don't like it to be... I suppose if you have it in the evening, it gives you all day to eat chocolates and... <laughs> and then and then but... so, so they're going to be having it at 5 p.m when he gets back i, I guess is the idea you know yeah which isn't yeah. is in isn't the end of the world i think if you're margaret and she's only been given from what i can tell the scene before this you know when victor reveals he's gonna help at the community hall i think to be fair to margaret she's been given less than 12 hours notice because they go yeah it's night time Presumably that sermon was Christmas Eve. It might be a couple of days before Christmas Day. I don't know, but it might be. It might be. It's not that much notice for Margaret, but anyway, it, it's not. It is no. what it is. It's, no, it's, um, you can you can understand. But she, that, what I'm trying to say is, she probably had not enough time to plan an alternative, like you know, seeing if there's someone, a friend or another family relative, is free to to have her for the afternoon. I mean, I'm sure Jean would welcome her in open arms. I don't know why she just wouldn't go around there, but. Mm. Um, anyway, we won't dwell on that too too much longer. I think it's a great gag having another uh, identical garden name in in the house. Yeah, <laughs> and that's what you mentioned earlier about Jean sort of signalling her virtue for for Victor. It, it's it's all a backhanded compliment by Jean when she says Victor Victor's gen, generous gesture was not like him at all. But then even out by saying what you know. If if any husband does that, it's a it's a it's a nice thing. Right. So it does those passing comments do, does leave Margaret with a bit of self reflection to, to do and, and look back at the just look on the just look at the bigger picture really and, and see what Victor's trying to achieve. Well, well, the thing is, I mean, okay, she says like it was a very generous gesture, not like Victor at all. Now, I mean, okay, as we see as the series goes on, that's not true because he, he's he, he does a lot of good things and. Um, so that's her, I think, not really fully appreciating, you know. But at the same time, uh, you could say the next comment about it's not like any husband, and you sort of think, whoa, okay. I mean, I must admit, it's a part of me going, what are you trying to say about husbands exactly or about <laughs> men? But I do think, though, that to some degree, what she's trying to do is she's really trying to essentially big up Victor and say, look, mm. without without confronting Margaret and saying, I think you're wrong to be angry with him. She's just saying, I think it's wonderful that he's doing this. She's, I, actually, I being ta- she's actually being tactful for a change, isn't she? Well, by, well, by, well, that, yeah. That, that's, yeah, that's the feeling I get. I mean, I know you could easily interpret it as her as just being oblivious to Margaret's anger and stuff, but um, the way it's played, I mean, you remember in the episode, for example, where she's staying with them because her... Um, house is flooded. Yeah. And you have that moment where she says she turned, I think she turned the heating down because she didn't want her, uh, is it a budgery guard to, um, yeah. It's me. And Margaret says, um, says something like, oh, yes, of course, it would be very good for drying wallpaper, but not for yeah. his little tummy. And you can <laughs> see on her face, she's like, she knows that she's messed up. She knows that Margaret's furious, but she's just going to brush it off. Yeah, yeah. There's something. I think there's a bit of that going on here. Where possibly, I, I, th- I think know. so. I think yeah. ultimately, the scene ends with the infamous newberry fruits that Meldrews feared they might receive. I don't think it's a gift from Jean. They got her some sherry, but I don't know. I mean, all all time favorite Christmas treat. I've got to say, quality streets for me. Cheese footballs as well. I know um, we mentioned for for Rochers, but yeah. just remember their cheese footballs are are not as. Uh, it's not. It's not a very common thing to buy anymore for Christmas snacks. But I still look out for the old cheese footballs. Anyway, yeah. On we better move on to the uh, the, the community hall scene now. Um, I don't know if this is supposed to be the same community hall as seen in Alive and Buried, first episode where Victor thinks he's having a surprise party or and in who will buy. 
when Nick Sweeney does the uh, oh, charity right. ball gig yeah. thing. It, it, is it supposed to be? I don't know. There's somewhat of an atmospheric happening down at the community hall anywhere where Victor, Tom Croak and all the other volunteers are serving the homeless on a uh, Christmas afternoon. Is Victor suddenly called over by one of the homeless who referred to him unexpectedly as... Waiter. <laughs> which you. extracts a laugh from the audience, doesn't it? And it's... Yes, we've, we've forgotten how to tell the time <laughs> these days, you know. <laughs> Victor, Victor <laughs> um, would have lashed out at this man in any other situation. Obviously, he's in a charitable spirit and he, his guard is down somewhat and he, so he doesn't mind being referred to as waiter. So this is played by N. Rytel, who I'm sure you know is the homeless man in Dreamland, you know, refusing to wear the Noel Edmonds sweater. And it also yeah. revoiced John Chalice, John Chalice's stint in Beware the Trips of the Roof, you know, when he's trying to work out how to, to, to operate the video timer on the VCR that he nicked. Oh, right. Okay. Um, no, yeah. Also considered to play Del Boy. He didn't know that. And uh, no. still very it's still very active in TV and film today, apparently. So he does a lot of voice voice roles voicing roles and mr bean animation mostly 2d tv which was quite quite a hit for a couple of series in the early 2000s a lot of impressionist roles anyway but he's he's um mr starkey which is the surname of uh ringo star isn't it of the beatles that's just richard starkey but this is starkey oh Um, richard starkey yeah no first name mentioned victor's simply asked for the time in a slightly sketchy way it's like a rhetorical question almost Starkey knows the time by the very second. I think he has a, I think it's chronophobia, I think fear of time. So like you said, he's got a bit of a criticism of society for not being able to tell the time without the use of watches and clocks. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's a little hard to tell otherwise. I mean, there were ways once upon a sundials and stuff once upon a time. And in this moment, we actually know the time thanks to him, you know, knowing at the top of his head. 2.51 and two seconds precisely. It's close to the three o'clock traditional mm. It's funny because even at this, even though at this point he just comes across as a bit eccentric and, and yeah, okay, yeah. fair enough. Yeah. But 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 there's still that innocence of him simply, you know, contemplating, you know, about why can't people tell time. But there's as Victor walks away, and I think the mu- the, the music has there's a sinister undercurrent of it because he says, "I don't mind waiting," and there's just that hint of that uh, he's. He may be a problem later. He may be, but he looks at his suitcase like all the time in the world. Yeah. yeah he's just putting the frighteners into, into Victor, isn't he, really? Yeah. But um, Victor politely offers more gravy. Now, the next scene, Margaret is preparing a tasty-looking turkey, and I think she's made peace with the structure of her day after Jean's words of wisdom, I think. Um, yes, after... Rather helpful... It, it, it's it's yeah she she's she's gone to some effort she the, the dining room looks lovely and christmasy and it's a very short scene isn't it but even though she's on her own she she's thinking my husband's doing some good we've already established that she's seen the light and that is just there for us to get to for us to the viewer to see that margaret is herself um Jean, i think if terms. um if if what happens later with the whole hostage situation hadn't happened and Victor had just gone home after you know four o'clock um yeah. i think i think margaret would have been very apologetic she'd have told him i'm very proud of you and i've made this wonderful yeah, dinner I, you, you know well yeah I, I look forward to assessing her behavior later on with that but when we're yeah. back at, at the community hall in the kitchen tom croker seen after the last of the volunteers that the, the shift's done he's just such a pleasant sounding man isn't he Thank you very much indeed, Mrs. Rutland. You've been tremendous. Now, Merry Christmas to you and all the family. Bye to you. He's got everyone's favourite granddad vibe about him. Talks so oh, poet- poetically, like I said, in yes. tone as well. Merry he's... Christmas to you and all the family. Bye now. It's it, uh, yeah, <laughs> it's it, lovely. It, it's a wonderful performance, it really is. Yeah, he's pleased with the shift they put in and, and checks if all the, the homeless folk have left. And Victor says there's just one left and it's mr starkey he's no hurry to leave he doesn't mind waiting which we've heard him say previously of course and victor's you know made to go and check in on him and apparently he's waiting for armageddon which is at 8 20 and 15 seconds and <laughs> um, i haven't checked this but this must be a significant set of numbers in the in the old or new testament i don't yeah. know 8 15 victor's quite sheepish isn't he definitely startled by this man tom croker's having none of it they need to be out by 4pm. The council go loopy. Well, this is where I think we see that, you know, for as lovely as, of a man as Tom Croker is, 
you know, he can be quite firm and he's got limits to his yeah. patience. And particularly when he says to Victor, you know, um, t- tell him to go on down to the, is it the Salvation Army Hall? And he says, you know, tell Which him. Which he calls the, the Sally Army. The, the, the Sally go, Army Hall. Sally Army. Oh, yeah. Salvation. Yeah. But he's yeah, like, yeah, yeah, t- he's tell a... him to go down there like everyone else. And there's, and there's almost a hint of, okay, my sympathy's gone now. And yeah. it's my it's my Christmas as well. I, I've got my family to go back to, or presumably he has. Yeah. I, I get the impression he's he's a widow for some reason, but I don't yeah, know if he's staying at Patrick and Pippa's or but yeah, he he's like, no, come on, we need to get out of here. We're done now. Yeah. Victor is yeah, Victor is uh stalling a bit as he can't quite cut to the chase until he does say that this chap does have a machine gun. And actually mm. Tom Krog doesn't believe it. He sends Victor back in there once again. But it's a fun, there's a funny line about how he finds having the machine gun useful useful for getting a seat on the bus, which I did laugh at. That yeah, from, uh, I can imagine like, he does. <laughs> um, <laughs> so basically, Mr. S- Mr. Spark, Sparky? Sparky yeah. wants a, a set of, he wants a set of uh, new clothes. He wants a clean shirt for when he meets the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Just the, of course, the end of time, if you didn't realise. So yeah, 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 sends Victor back in, basically, and there's a very Christmassy moment in there of, of reflection when he, Tom Croker looks out the window. We see like a, it's a white Christmas out of the window. Yeah. And, and yeah. he says, There's a white Christmas after all, then. Very seasonal. It's very gentle, isn't it? Before very, se- very seasonal, yeah. Very seasonal, very briefest of moments, isn't it? Victor yeah. re enters again down to his. <laughs> Victor's now down to the whites of his vest and pants, and Tom Croker's had enough now, isn't he? He's mm-hmm. assertively tries to sort this out. The time now is five to four. He knows he's going to be in some trouble with Margaret, when it, especially when he realizes it's snowing because he's yeah. like, got no clothes. It's snowing. It doesn't. It doesn't bode well when you're half half naked. We should note that Tom Croker's locked the door at this point. That's quite it's not pivotal to the plot, but he's locked the door. Because like, when I watched this back, I was thinking, how does Pippa get in? But she of course smashes the window. But we'll get to that. So well, I just, I'm just Victor, summarizing. Victor does seem to contemplate running off, doesn't he? Like he's he sort of um I did I, I did write I, that I, down. Would would he have yeah. would he have left would he have done that? I don't know. I think like he's he, just he, checking he, his he, escape. Well, I think he tries to do, but but I would like to think though that even if he contemplated it, part of him would would not want to leave Tom oh, Croker. I don't think he would. No, he wouldn't want. To, or at the very least, if he did, he'd call the police because he. Yeah. I don't be... think he'd bolt for it. I I think no. he'd stay. I think he's just thinking, yeah. have we got an exit plan? Yeah. Tom Croker is also just a great joke. He's also down to the whites of his underwear, and he suggests ring the police. But in that in that moment, Starkey, yeah. uh, with some intimidation, suggests they keep waiting and, and hangs up the phone. We're brought back to the mail juice where a depleted Margaret is sat at the table, struggling to really eat her meal. She she clearly feels a sense of rage at this point. I think mm. she assumes Victor's generosity for others has taken over their whole day. And maybe we just need to take a step back and just look at things from Margaret's point of view. Yes. She just doesn't know. However, she chucks away his dinner which yeah. is cruel i mean it, she knows he's not getting, getting up to no good as far as she's concerned is he's time to got has run away with him he's been mm. too nice he deserves his hot meal when he gets back yeah i, I do you know it, it's funny because i i totally get her point of view yeah but but i i just i can't excuse chucking his dinner away no i just can't like i mean he like if anything, if he's been too nice and spent even longer than he needed to, then he deserves his dinner even more when he gets back. We won't dwell too much on that. I'm sure there's more more turkey left and spuds and veg, yeah. you know, sprouts and all the rest of it. Uh, back at the hall, we've got an amusing sight of the three of them sat on chairs facing the camera. Mm. Stargy has been moaning something he hates about modern civilization, something very specific and clearly happened to him about some van man sitting in the back of his his van spitting the pips of grapes as you pass by. Really angers Mr. Starkey as he gestures his gun towards Victor and Tom, who looking for unity in, in this anguish of, of yeah, behaviour, and they yeah, sort of agree with him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love how they, they both you know, are on the same page. Oh, there. It's disgraceful. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I, if you listen closely, you can hear Evan Croker say there should be a law against that. <laughs> 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 
Uh, we know it's 6.46 and 39 seconds. So blimey, they've been there for quite some time. And oh, by now, Tom Croker is definitely thinking he's made the right um, call moving on from the perils of doing good in the local parish. Yeah. Admittedly, this wouldn't have, have happened before or will again. But yeah, Mr. Sarkis says he's waiting for the final conflict against the mother of harlots and abominations when asked by Victor, what are we waiting for? It seems yeah. quite cryptic, but he, he sets... He being Mr. Saki sets out the time frame for the events that lie ahead. Yeah, by 9.23, he basically thinks the world will end. And this is a religious extremist, clearly. Yeah. Obviously, savagely exploiting victim Tom's good nature. And they're not fighting back. And Mr. Saki is just taking them down with him, which I think is quite sad, really. But, it is, yeah, you know, yeah. that monologuing from Starkey is basically, it's interrupted by the sound of some windows being smashed. In comes Pippa. The yes. hero of the hour. She, Victor, and, and mostly Tom, her dad, are pleading with her just to go. Have you any idea what time it is? It's snowing like mad out there. They'll both freeze to death. Look at them. Time now, six forty-eight, precisely. People don't argue with the gentleman. He won't hurt you. I've seen him in the park feeding the squirrels. She confronts Starkey, threatens, threatens him with a smack around the head. He hands over the gun. What I, Suddenly, what I do like... he looks, he looks utterly, he looks utterly pathetic, doesn't he? At that point, you do feel sorry yeah. for him weirdly. Well, I mean, of course, because he, he breaks down crying after he's smashed up a few things, and then he breaks out crying, yeah. and, and you get the, you know, it's like the, at the end of the day, the man's just not well and needs help, but. What I love is how when she talks to him initially, you know, because like the, the the bit that gets me is when she says, I think to her dad, like he won't hurt you. I've I've seen him at the park yeah. feeding feeding the ducks, and you just cut to him, and it's like you just he's have this really sad, doesn't he? He's got this real kind of like innocent look of just sort of oh okay, oh, oh, I'm wow, out my you, depth there, aren't I? Yeah, you 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 uh, you know me, you, you know the real me, huh? Like yeah. He's, yeah. I've been exposed here. I mean, when she, Pippa sort of rhetorically asked, do you have any idea at the time? And he says it's 6.48 or whatever. And she is, the way Pippa asked that, it's like, you, how dare you use up these two people's time? This is Christmas afternoon, night, and you are selfishly, yeah, using a valuable family time. How dare you? She's absolutely livid. Mm. In, in, when she's got the gun, he in a fit of rage he bursts a load of balloons. And although I don't, I don't know what he's bursting with. Maybe he had a knife. But the joke does pay off well when when uh, <laughs> Victor and Tom take cover because they think he's actually letting off um letting off bullets. Uh, some bullets. <laughs> yeah. oh, but they but surely they've seen Pippa with the, the gun at that point. Unless they think he's got a secret holster well, gun. No, but it, it, it's, they, uh, pays they off well. Have, they might have thought that she failed to get him to hand it over and that he started Maybe, firing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But, yeah. It's, um... but it's it's um, a relief. You, you're relieved for both of them. They can continue their, their Christmas Day strict night as we uh, head back to the Meldrews. It seems peace and harmony is restored on this Christmas night as Margaret offers up Victor some. Valium. <laughs> Valium mashed in, in a mince pie. He's obviously yeah. quite shaken, you know. He, he's um he's he's been confronted with a with a machine gun. He, even at this point, Victor is empathizing with Starkey's uh mindset. He just wants to know he wonders how he how he's doing. Uh, it's, I think it's twenty mm. past eight, we know, at this point of time. And uh yeah. Scylla Black gets a mention again. She's on the telly and uh mm. yeah. But this is where the name of the episode comes into play, isn't it? Well, he did get that gun. Said he got it for Christmas. <laughs> Poor sod. Christmas. Well, he had his faith. Makes you wonder what to believe in. What's out there? Who's listening? And then you have that moment, of course, where he says, "You can see why. Um, you can see why Croker wants to pack it in." Is that what yeah, he says? That's, yeah, that's very true. Yeah, he, no. he, yeah what Victor's getting at also. How does one explain what happened to the little boy whose dad went home for Christmas? That's like you say, why partly why yeah. Tom Croker's finished with the faith. It's like I can't help yeah. these people. I can't offer any kind of words of yeah. Comfort. We can't we can't explain you know yeah. what happened. So how do you expect this little boy to understand? Exactly. Yeah. You know? And yeah. Margaret Margaret peeks out the window. The snow stopped. Uh, she she sheepishly brings up Christmas present giving and hands Victor his. So she, uh, she, yes. they, they've had 
previously agreed to not do Christmas this year, but she couldn't. She couldn't resist. Victor rather taken aback by this, isn't he? He's, uh, he's given a, a brand new watch. Now, I, I know we said, you know, we agreed about um, not giving each other anything for Christmas. So don't start moaning, right? But happy Christmas anyway. Oh. I don't know. I mean, I was. Oh. What are you going to buy me a new watch for? Well, you can throw that other thing away and stop trying to guess the time. Well, I suppose I might as well confess. What's that? I've done the same thing. I bought myself a new watch as well. Yeah. It kind of mirrors what Starkey has spoken about people relying on watches and how, uh, you know, Margaret says he doesn't need to guess the time anymore. Okay, quite a bit of a stark contrast to what, yeah, Starkey was saying. And he, he's very grateful. <laughs> And yes. apparently he's done the same thing. And Margaret's like, oh, he has got a heart after all, which is an, a great joke. And not tactful yeah. in the slightest that I've only gone and, my, I've only gone and brought myself a watch not long ago. So, do, do, do you know yeah. what? Do, uh, do, so, right. Okay. Do you, do you like this this joke? The reason I ask is because I find it so awkward. Like, I, I, I have to skip it even because it's like, you know, he comes in, he says, I got myself a brand new watch. And the rest of the scene is so awkward because it's like, I mean, you, oh, even, have, you even have Victor saying like, right, well, yeah, nothing to stay up for now. And it's just like, oh, why why did you even tell her that you'd, <laughs> you'd done I think, that? I mean, in real life, of course, you wouldn't yeah. go, I've done the same thing. Oh, I've, and he's, he's not even being humorous. He's just saying, oh, I brought my, I did the same thing as you. I resisted and went out and brought myself a watch yeah yeah that margaret's a roller coaster of of uh emotions right because she's now pissed off again and she turns in for the night what um, gets me though is she's not even pissed off i think she's just disappointed and just kind of like oh or but but to her credit though the impression i get from the way annette crosby plays it is i don't think she's disappointed that he didn't get her a present i think she's disappointed that her present is now uh, lesson secondary. It's now secondary yeah. to the one he got for himself. Well, they could yeah. give that to uh, Tom Croker. It might contribute to the final amount they they might end up owing, but that's oh. that's up for debate. But yeah. I, I like how uh, Victor, uh, as he turns off the light, he utters, he utters to himself, "There's nothing to stay up for now." It's sort of misleading the audience to think that we're in for quite a flat ending, where we now move on to the most probably probably the most I say the most moving scene. Yeah, probably the second most because I think the I'd say the things aren't simple anymore is the most moving scene. But this is uh, quite I don't know what this is some avenue down the road from Tresillian Way. I think we see a detached house from like high up from bird's eye view. Little Adam steps outside. Little Adam Burridge holding a what's that toy from? That is a Transformers um, toy of sorts. Yeah, I think. It, it looks it looks like that. Yeah, he looks up to the Christmassy stars. It's so Christmassy this moment, even though it's sad. Hoping for his daddy to come home. Yeah, uh, even though we know what's around the corner, because you know we've all seen this hundreds of times. Yeah, it's still sad. He's, he's oh, it is. This, yeah. um, Chase Marks, who plays Adam Burridge, by the way, he's got some tears rolling down his eye. He's he's momentarily really thrilled isn't he because the car pulls up it's just some young people who've just come back from a night out yeah so, god this is this is hard i mean having kids me personally it makes it more yeah. harder to watch picture what my children's faces would would look like if i wasn't around and maybe yeah. my other half would, would be a bit pleased <laughs> but uh-huh. yeah poor, poor little adam 
Yeah. yeah, it's extreme of tears coming down his face. You're thinking, God's sakes, David, he's like toying with us, isn't he? That that Transformer toy, he just, he's just sat on the verge, isn't he? Um, yeah. And we, we see the sight of a briefly unseen adult picking up the toy. And as Adam looks up and rejoices, it's his dad. What a yeah. happy ending. Yeah, he's I'm, alive. I'm, I'm just absolutely thrilled at this point. Oh, thrill is not the word. I must, admit, I must admit, though, when I first saw this scene, uh, I actually thought that it was a, a dream that the boy was having, like a fantasy. Did you? I, no, I actually didn't. Um, no, because um, it, 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 it wasn't until Mrs. Warboys confirmed it that I realised, oh, OK, no, no, wowie, OK, good, he really is alive. But, but at first, I, I actually thought it might be like a dream or a trick where this this is what's going on in the boy's mind this is what he would like to happen mm. but maybe but, it may be but, but, but i just think that'd yeah. be so cruel i think it would be cruel you know, oh yeah <laughs> i think i think even remick has a heart in his writing he's got heart in his writing but you know he's i think he's willing to i don't think he can leave us feeling empty and depressed at the end of of this particular episode so you know, I'm personally very grateful it ended this but way. He, but and he could, he could have left it ambiguous in the, in the same way as the last episode, where it's like, did Margaret put pills in Glynis's yeah. drink? It could be like that. I where, just, I just, I just yeah. think Dave is thinking, no, this is Christmas special. Even I don't want it to be this dark. And yeah. as Adam and his dad cuddle, Mrs. Burrage she looks out the window and she cannot believe her eyes. You can see that relief in her face when she's like, oh my. God, like she just can't can't get out of that house quick enough, and the three of them group hug with whatever that relieving and joyful emotional music is. Is I think it's a bit of piece of music, but it's just ah happy ending, brilliant. It's yeah, it's just well, amazing. And uh, well, presumably the the husband doesn't know that they thought he was dead. So well, I'm sure I'm yeah. That's a good point. Well, he'll know that they would have been worried sick because he couldn't contact home. But yeah, they. He, he wouldn't have known about his car blowing up, which we'll yeah. talk about that in the next scene or two. But yeah, that closes off that storyline rather rather well. And thank thank goodness. In the Meldrews hallway, there's a, a chap called Ted, who we don't actually see. I think we see him briefly. He's collecting the last of the gnomes as hmm. Victor helps. And, and Jean and Margaret are in the kitchen now as they mull over the Christmas events. Jean fills Margaret on the background to Mr. Burge's disappearance. Oh, you haven't heard. Heard what? Well, he came back the night before last. What are you talking about? Well, apparently, when he left uh, the other week, he took an early flight out uh, to Germany or wherever, mm -hmm. parked at the airport, and someone stole his car, went out joyriding in it and hit a petrol tanker and the whole lot went up. Naturally, they thought it was his body. And, of course, with the phones being down all week, he couldn't phone home or anything. So, can you imagine? <laughs> After all that poor girl's been through, suddenly just turning up on the doorstep again like that. Obviously, Jean knows the local news around around this. And uh, the, I think the great thing about this scene is it should remind Margaret, who says she's had a, a basically a crack Christmas, that there is some really uplifting news out there in the local community. And mm. what would have been a, a soul-destroying Christmas forevermore for a little boy and his mum have had their fortunes turned around to a happily ever after family occasion. And and Margaret hadn't been privy to that news, had she? So, no. you know, we, we, we know we know where we're at with, with the date, by the way, because Jean says he came back the night before last, which makes it the 27th of December in their, in their world, which is the release date, just realised. Oh, right, goes, yeah. So Christmas, Christmas night, he returns... And the night before last, when Jean says it would, would that would make it the twenty seventh, because the night before Boxing yes. Day, yeah, that's quite clever. I just realised, yeah, I just realised that that's the airing date. The the mystery of Mister Burridge is cleared up, you know, from uh, yeah. in a in a Jonathan Creek type way. So yeah, well, obviously all the lines being down as mentioned throughout the episode, and due to the bad weather, when Mister Burridge was out in Germany, he couldn't, you know, call home, and he wouldn't so, know. Uh, presumably, he wouldn't know. That his car was stolen, or about the True. or about the collision with the petrol tanker. So, 
although it would be awkward for him not being able to call home because oh, they might be worried, he wouldn't know that they've been told your husband's um, been in this horrible accident and been burnt alive. So when yeah. you get so for him to get home, and obviously the police are seeing. Presumably he was late coming. He was late coming back home because of the snow, right? Yeah, the time of night. But then at the same time, like for him to then discover that they've spent, you know, this time thinking he's dead. I mean, gosh, yeah, it's quite. It's, it's very dark. I mean, you got to remember yeah. someone else. Someone's actually been killed, although mostly brought on stolen a car, joint riding into a petrol tanker. Yeah, at least one person <laughs> died. Horrifically, not, not yeah, horrifically. Yeah. Was he always going to be away in Germany for a certain amount of time, or did we establish that well, the Reverend bad Croker, weather delayed the flights? Yeah, I mean, Reverend Croker said he planned to be back on Christmas Eve to go to midnight mass with his wife oh, yeah, and yeah. His, his son. Um, he, I mean, really, when you think about it, he was delayed by twenty four hours. So, so yeah, so when the car blew up into a petrol tanker, presumably, eventually, the car hire company were were made aware of that then contacted mr burridge and called his say say mr burridge filled out some forms and his landline numbers on there they would have well they wouldn't have called because they couldn't get through i just want i just trying to understand how mrs burridge would know does that make sense because the phone lines have been down how would she know about the events of the i don't know it's uh it might have been explained in the in the uh in the conversation between Jean and Margaret, I'm just trying to remember. Well, well, the thing that gets me as well is that when he shows up, you know, when when the little boy sat there and when he shows up yeah. um, with the toy and he picks up the toy, the look on his face, is, he, he doesn't look to me like he knows that yeah. they, they thought that, that uh, well, okay, maybe Adam didn't think he was dead, but Mrs. Burridge did. He, he he doesn't look to me like he knows that that's that she thought he was dead. Like if he'd come back thinking they that my wife thinks I'm dead, you'd think his his approach <laughs> would be I need to play this very subtly. I I, I need to not shock her. I, I I need to just tell her everything's fine. But he walks. He, but he turns up very joyfully. Like hey, here I am. <laughs> yeah. I, perhaps yeah. The police got in touch with the Burridge family after the hire car in Miss Burge's name but and then yeah Jean helps herself to the new uh, some newberry fruits but uh, it makes me think they're not from her she it looks like she's wondering what they're doing now almost yeah she just helps herself mm-hmm. so I don't know who got who's the mystery person who sent the newberry fruits I don't know yeah we're not quite done yet actually with uh, this episode because we are now probably the biggest talk one of the biggest talking points the front garden of 19 River Bank Patrick and Pippa both confront Victor, seemingly politely, but with a slight undertone of passive aggressiveness. They speak of the posh bottle of plonk they presented to they presented to him, breaking down the events that led up to them realizing the bottle had been tampered with uh, mm. by the Maldrews. Once he'd had his turkey and Christmas pudding, he was fine. We were fine. Everything was fine. <laughs> Until the moment came for us to present him with his bottle of Chateau Chevenet Merceau. <laughs> If you can cast your mind back, Mr. Meldrew, this was the bottle of extremely rare vintage plonk, which we paid £850 for. 850 smackaroos, the hard-earned cash. Do you remember? Imagine then our not unnatural surprise when, just as we were delicately sliding the 1924 classic from its box, the cork suddenly took it upon itself to fly, unsolicited, up my father-in-law's nose. And <laughs> something closely resembling carbonated cat's urine started dribbling down the sides of the bottle. It's a very funny description, carbonated cat's urine. Yeah. <laughs> which is probably a fair description compared to what was actually in that bottle originally. Mm-hmm. And Victor's somewhat... He's yeah. he's quite flabbergasted and visibly shaken, isn't he, by being put on the spot about this? Well, what's interesting? After all, yeah, I mean, it's interesting to me because, like, I mean, when they came to get it, it was Margaret they spoke to. I mean, Victor was in the yeah. kitchen. Victor was in the kitchen the whole time, and yet when they come out now, it's specifically Victor they confront, as if clearly it must be him that that was behind this. Well, I, ne- I I don't know. They they just seen him. Margaret, if Margaret was there with him, they would still have confronted. Well, probably would have directed yeah. the anchor towards Victor because it just seems like the polite thing to do rather than ambush yeah. a, you know, an old lady. 
Angus Deaton's um, performance here, though, is very interesting because he's up up to now. He's been the who will buy Patrick, if you like. He's been, mm. you know, he's been quite the sort of the night, you know, the mostly down to earth neighbour. And yeah. this is essentially the moment where he morphs into the Patrick we'll see going forward. Yes, yeah, so um, you've spoken about this quite. I this is a very interesting point, isn't it? It's like you've described it as a bit of a reset when we go into Man in Long Black Coat onwards to Series 3, you just think... Because the, the Man in Long Black Coat to Series 3, sorry, because there's the, the amount of good Victor does in that, you think all is forgiven, but apparently not when you hit Series 3 onwards. Like they, said, they, have, um, they have a reconciliation at the end of they Man, do, and, they, Man they in Long Black Coat. A, yeah. a, a mutual thing. And you should think quite psychotically from Patrick, machine gunning... The garden names, which is going to cost them dearly. That's the whole point, isn't it? It's just avenging the cost of the engine fifty quid bottle. You hear very, it's very subtle, but you hear Patrick saying, "Right, we can hand this back in now, and they will get done for keeping that." Not only use of a of a of a weapon, but actually withholding it from the police. You think the police would have been all over that from the moment they they um got Starkey arrested? But there you go. No, Patrick yeah. was out, to say the least, absolutely crazy to do that. Yeah. No wonder Victor doesn't like him from there on out. He think how you know, Victor's the second time Victor's being confronted by the same gun, you know, in twenty four hours or no more than that, isn't it? Three yeah. days. So he's gonna be have some PTSD going on, I think, with guns. I mean, yeah. Victor carries a gun in series one, doesn't he? <laughs> For protection, yeah. but I mean, this you know, this is it now. I mean, this is the turning point. This is now essentially how things will be going forward. Because you know, up until this point, I think the yeah. I think the relationship between Victor and Patrick was reparable. Uh, mm. I don't I don't think Patrick uh, hated or even disliked him. I think he just thought maybe he was a little bit odd. But from this point, yeah, on, yeah there's no going back. And even after Man in the Long Black Coat obviously drives into the hospital, he writes him a note to say thank you. But it never, we never recover from this. You know, nah, this, this nah, is it oh, now. It's crazy. Oh, I think the Maldrews could have just written a check for at least half the amount, even though it's not their fault, and it all, all would have been forgiven. But I yeah. think it's because it's for a sixth year and Christmas present in one. But I don't know. In, in the kitchen. Jean and, and and Margaret are there. Just um, I think talking about great Aunt Joyce has actually gifted a huge tub of Vaseline or petroleum jelly, uh, which rounds off that joke. And Victor walks in, uh, interestingly, covers up for Patrick's head gone moment. Maybe afraid that the, but maybe he's afraid to say we've basically got a huge bill to pay for. But he doesn't really say I've just been shot at. Well, not shot at, but uh, he's in. He's he hasn't. In... He hasn't. He hasn't. Immediately is avoiding what's just been. What's just happened. Yeah. And, and he's, Margaret he's in... thought the noise was. He's in shock. He just doesn't know. He, he's, he's in shock. To be yeah. fair, yeah. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Interesting that Margaret thought the noise was was the wonky tree falling into uh, into Mister 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 Ellsbury's house or someone across the way. That's right. Which has been mentioned a couple of. Which has been mentioned a couple of times. To be fair, and suddenly we do hear a, th- um, a bit of a thudder and a crash, as the three inspect what's happened. The the tree has actually fallen into the Meldrews' living room. Jean drops the gag of the century, doesn't she? Looks like you've got a tree in the house after all, then, Miss. <laughs> <laughs> Did she really think this would go down well, though? It's not even an an, un, an untactful, innocent remark, is it? She just thought, this is a good joke, yeah. you know? And it mind, is a great joke. Yeah, yeah mind, mind you, what? Victor's response, though, if you look at the way Richard Wilson plays it, is, it's basically like, yeah, I guess I have. <laughs> <laughs> but what a, what a great couple of final scenes. You've got Starkey in his, in his siege, which ends up you know, being rather tragic. Then you've got... Margaret forgiving Victor, except for the Christmas gift cocker, which is more than a more of a Margaret thing. Then you've you got the hearts warming, tear jerking, Burridge family closure. Mm-hmm. Then to round it off, after Patrick being a crazy criminal for a minute, and Edinburgh fringe worthy gag from Mrs. Warboys, all plotted much earlier in the special about the weather and a dodgy tree about to fall over, and and the lack of having a tree in the house. It's all paid off rather nicely and that's yeah that's a remarkable episode yeah. uh, that's i presume you score that 10 out of 10 if that's your favorite yeah i do i mean but i do fully appreciate why it's not necessarily 
most people's favourite. I mean, it, you know, I happen to be quite biased in terms of um, I, I have a soft spot for Christmassy things, but at the same time, yeah, I, I do feel it's a landmark episode. I feel like it, it's, it is the turning point between the one foot in the grave up to this up to, up to now to going forward. Yeah. Uh, I mean, if if ever you wanted, like for example, if ever you wanted to know why um why Patrick why Victor and Patrick don't get along, just watch this episode. It explains it all. Yeah, uh, because yeah, that's is, quite right. That's because, the, the birth yeah. of their argument. Yeah. It, it, it really is because who will buy was not that damaging. What happened in that, it, it, you know, compared to this, I mean, okay, yeah, he tried to get them to stay, but this was what did the damage. Like the, the yeah. really was, there was, and you know what's ironic is Patrick never mentions the bottle of wine ever again. He mentions who will buy again, and he mentions losing their furniture and all the other things. But strangely enough that bottle of wine is never mentioned again, even though it was the very thing that started all the problems. Anthony, that's been an absolute marathon. Yeah. And thank you very much for joining. I've enjoyed your in-depth analysis on uh, some of these heart-wrenching scenes. Have yeah. you enjoyed it? Absolutely, yeah. I, 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 it's obviously a, my favourite one, and I was, I, I'm, I'm so glad to have been able to talk about this one and to come on the podcast, so thank you very much. That's okay. Well, I hope everyone back home is. Uh, thank you for um, you know getting through this big episode. I hope it's um, served you well on your dog walks or your long car journeys. Oh yes. Uh, have a great <laughs> Christmas. Yeah. And have a you. merry Christmas. And if you listen to this at any t- any other point of the year, then have a great rest of the day. <laughs> Christmas yes. is probably way off if you're listening to next July, for example. But yeah, thank you very much for listening. Thank you, thank you Anthony. Thank you. It's the most wonderful time of the year With the kids jingle belling and everyone telling you be of good cheer It's the most wonderful time of the year